morning, everyone. It's good to have some visitors with us today, and I look forward to getting to know each of you a little bit more in the uh, hour ahead. And of course, after this 11 o'clock hour, this service, we'll have a fellowship meal, and everybody's invited to stay. There will be plenty to share, and I look forward to getting to uh, know you better. I trust that God is the one who's honored and glorified as we gather together today. I'd like to ask us to open our hymnals to 542 and sing, There is Sunshine in My Soul. 542. We need a little sunshine, don't we? A little, a little dreary outside, but let's, let's shine it up with this song. doesn't matter whether it's cloudy or not, there can be sunshine in your soul, and I hope that's the case for everyone here. Uh, it's good to have everybody here today, and we rightly need to go before the throne of grace and prayer and ask for God's guidance and blessing. Father God, I thank you for gathering us together 
in so many unusual to us ways, but it's not to you. You have a purpose and a plan, and I thank you, Heavenly Father, that our gathering together today is actually part of that. Father, I ask you that in each of our individual lives, not knowing what is going on, I don't, but you do, I ask you that you would meet the needs of each one. Maybe there's somebody here today, Father God, that has not yet accepted the truth that Jesus Christ is God and came into this world and took on a human body in the, in the person of Jesus Christ and shed his blood on Calvary's cross for the remission of their sins and our, our sins. And Father, as he physically died and was buried but rose again, we know that salvation has been paid for. The redemption price has been paid and they need to accept him believing in him with all their heart as Savior. Father, I ask you that if there's someone that needs that, today would be the day that they make that decision real and personal. Father God, I ask you too, for those of us who do know Jesus Christ as Savior, that what you have for us from your word today would make a difference in our lives, that the Holy Spirit would do a great work. Father, I thank you for each one who is here as we desire to worship you in our time together and fellowship and giving and singing in the opening of the scriptures. Lord God, you deserve worship more than just this hour throughout the week, but every day and every hour of the week. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, that this would be an expression of our love for you who loved us first. Also, Heavenly Father, I do ask you that Jesus Christ would be the focus and the the one who is exalted as he ought to be, as we just sang about. Father, thank you again for that which you have given us that we could never attain on our own. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, welcome everyone. I trust that God blesses in the rest of this hour. Let's open our songbooks to number 537 and sing this really, truly from your heart. Number 537, In My Heart, There Rings a Melody. I have a song that Jesus gave me. It was sent from heaven above. There never was a sweeter melody. Tis the melody of love. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody with heaven's harmony. In my heart there rings a melody. my sins away he put within my heart a melody and I know it's there to stay in my heart there rings a melody there rings a melody with heaven's harmony in my heart there rings a melody a melody of love. Twill be my endless theme in glory. With the angels I will sing. 
everyone to stand for scripture reading. Pick up your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. And follow along as Tom reads that after scripture reading, Children's Church is dismissed. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Beloved, I think not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to, is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad, and also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, what shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, I let them suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing and unto a faithful creator. Amen. Amen. I'd like to ask everyone to open your Bibles to James. James chapter 1. Two weeks ago, I started to dive into the treasures found in this epistle written by James. And we'll continue that today. Verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today, I ask that you would teach us that the Holy Spirit would do the work. Father God, I ask you that you would guide my mouth and our minds, and that ultimately Jesus Christ would be honored and glorified. Father, thank you for bringing us your word all 66 books of the Bible and that every word is inspired of you equally. And Father, as we recognize the words written by James, we know that they're your words, that you have superintended the writing of this passage, this book, and the whole Bible. And Father, we thank you for it. And I ask you that as we consider the subject at hand, that it would be just what we need. Directly from you, your word, and the work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, we started into the epistle of James, and we started by asking some questions. Some Bible students use such terms as the histiocultural, syntactical and contextual analysis. But we simplified that and asked who, when, what, 
where and why, those are important questions. As you open your Bible, ask those questions. Who wrote it? Who was God's penman? In other words, we know God is the author of all scripture, but who wrote it? Who was the penman? Why did he write it? Who did he write it to? Ask those questions. What is the content, the main subject of that passage of scripture that you will be reading, I trust, tomorrow morning as you get up and start your day with the Lord? Well, who was this James? There are four possible James in the New Testament. And we explored that last week. And we learned that the most likely James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Along with his brother Jude, Joseph and Mary had four sons that are named in Matthew 13, 55, and some daughters who are not named. Could have been two or more daughters. James believed and became a Christian shortly after the Lord's resurrection. And eventually became a pillar, as Paul wrote in Galatians 2.9, and the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Here was Jesus' brother, half-brother, if you will, who James observed Jesus growing up. James observed everything Jesus did and knew that he was perfect. And that probably got under the skin of James and Jude and the others. But once Jesus Christ did exactly as he said he would, he had power to lay down his life and power to raise it up again, James and Jude believed in Christ as their personal Savior, their own half-brother. That would have been a difficult thing, but God, the Holy Spirit, did that. We also discerned that the epistle was written approximately in 45 A.D. and likely was the first writing of the New Testament. Though some questioned at first whether James should be included in the Bible, once studied, any Bible student would discover that James does not contradict any other Bible teaching, but serves to illustrate many Bible truths. I did a quick count and came up with over 40 references in James to both Old and New Testament passages. That was Wonderful in our Sunday school hour to realize that God has tied the 66 books of the Bible together. We say they're self-authenticating. Yes, they are. And James has over 40 references to both Old and New Testament passages. James was clearly one of God's penmen. And this epistle is inspired of God, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for us. James' primary audience, who he was initially writing to, were the Jews who had become Christians and had been scattered to other lands due to persecution. Verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he is, speaking of his own half-brother as Lord, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting, And then he says, my brethren. So he's talking about believers. They had Jewish background, but they were believing Jews, believing in Christ. And they'd been scattered to other lands due to persecution. Which brings us to our verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. In this verse, there's some 
is one. I'm sorry. In this verse, there's one of four imperatives found in verses 1 through 11. An imperative is something that must be done. You got to do it, okay? When my dad said, go feed the cows, I had to do it. That was an imperative. It was a command. We receive a New Testament command here. Count it all joy. That is a command. You've got to do it. It's an imperative as a requirement. As we will see in a minute, the brethren must count it all joy. It is imperative or else the trial that you'll face and maybe facing right now, I don't know that, will rob you of triumph. So I titled this message, of course, making trials or turning trials into triumph. It's imperative. You must count it joy, or else the trial will rob you of the triumph. You will be defeated instead of victorious. You will be victims instead of a victor. Many people, even Christians, walk around feeling the victim and claiming the victim and that they have the right to act that way. And no, we don't. No, we don't. We've met some that seem to take pleasure in being negative and down and lacking joy, and that is not of God. That's a sin that needs to be confessed. It really is. Because, because, who are you trusting in? It's a matter of trust. So let's start with number one. My brethren, James wrote, my brethren. What had they faced? These brethren had faced the loss of their homes. Many of them started out in Jerusalem and they fled for their lives because of the persecution that arose about Saul, for one, and others. And they moved to a foreign culture. Some of you that have moved here have recognized that Montana is different than where you came from. It's a foreign culture. They were immersed in a different culture, probably even more dramatic than coming to Montana. You may not be a Jewish Christian. You may be a German Christian. You may be a Scottish Christian or an American Christian. But if you are a Christian, you are one of James' brethren in the Lord. It's addressed to you and to me. The question is, are you a believer in Christ? Are you one of the brethren, if you will? If you're not... You better make sure of that today. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't even know what this evening will bring. You need to make sure of your eternal state today. There'll be an opportunity for that at the end. I'll tell you what. If you're not a believer and not a brethren, then you cannot have true joy in life. You might have moments of happiness, but it's not always there. And what about when you face trials? Can you have joy in face of trials? Not if you're not a believer. You cannot sing, as Nehemiah wrote, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You can't do that if you're not a believer. If you're not saved, then the book of James will have little meaning to you. 
but you can get saved and become a Christian today. Number two, count it all joy. Count. The word count is our first imperative, and it is a financial term, which means to evaluate or to esteem or govern. The Apostle Paul used this term several times in Philippians chapter 3. You see, when he became a Christian, the Apostle Paul evaluated his life and set new goals and priorities. His life was dramatically changed on the road. Um, in, in Acts chapter 9, when he confronted the Lord Jesus Christ, his life was dramatically changed and he evaluated that and set new goals and priorities. He became the apostle to the Gentiles. When we face the trials of life, we too must evaluate them or count them in light of what God is doing for us. Does he know? Yes, he knows. Does he care? Yes, he cares. Is he able to solve the problem? Yes, he's able. He's omnipotent and omniscient. Can we trust him? And that's the big question. Yes, we can, and we must It's an imperative. We must evaluate. We must count it up and govern our lives in light of who God is, not the petty or even seemingly serious issues that we face. A lot of people seem to make something small very, 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 very big, but we must evaluate all of that in light of who God is. It's our job to take the controls out of thought, of our thoughts and attitudes. It's our job to do that and count it all joy. It's an imperative. Someone once said, if life hands you a lemon, make lemonade. I appreciate that. It isn't, a, it isn't all about what I can do. It's a matter of trusting God, dear Christian. That's what it is. We are to count it all joy, thirdly, joy. The word joy is the Greek kara, and it may not be what our modern culture thinks of as joy. What are some synonyms? Happiness? Sure. Laughter? Bliss? Cheer? Or glee? How about merriment and pleasure? Of course those things people think of as joy. Joy, kara, means a calm delight. That's different. It's a calmness in the time when things aren't calm. And it's delighting in who God is. Because we can't delight in the circumstances or the people around us at the time, maybe. It's a confidence that goes beyond the circumstances of the moment. Our values determine the way we evaluate the situation our evaluation. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we only live for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. Job of the Old Testament had a godly outlook, and he faced trials that many of us haven't faced. And by the way, I'm going to just say this. You might be facing trials right now, but they may not be as bad as Job's were. 
But that doesn't make yours any less, does it? I hear people say sometimes, other people have faced worse than you. Well, that doesn't make it easier for me at the moment, does it? Every trial is something that we need to trust God for. Job of the Old Testament, (laughs) interesting fellow, said, But he knoweth the way that I take. Yep, God knew every struggle that Job faced in the loss of his material things, the loss of his land, the loss of his children, and even the respect of his wife. It seemed like everything had turned against him. He knoweth the way that I take, Job said. When he hath tried me, what's the rest of it say? I shall come forth as gold. He chose to have a calm delight in the circumstances, even though it was difficult. Hebrews 12.2 tells of the Lord Jesus Christ, who faced more difficult trials than anyone else. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we are to count it all joy, and count it all joy, and count it all joy when, not if, you have various testings, but when. Dear Christian, the the word is when. It's going to happen. Jesus warned his disciples in the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world in John 16, 33. Paul told those who he ministered to, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Yes, we will face trials. We will face temptations and struggles. We cannot expect everything to go our way all the time, always. In fact, the Lord knows what is best for us. He knows what's best for us, as we will see later in the book of James. Some trials are just because we're human. Some of them are just because we're human. Sickness, accidents, disappointments in others in finances, and even tragedies. Other trials come because we're Christians. Trials come because we're Christians? Yes, we have an adversary out there. Peter wrote, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. I didn't read it as nicely as Tom did just now. Thank you, Tom. (laughs) Dear Christian, trials will come, and we are to count it all joy when they do. I wonder, when Peter wrote that, I I think sometimes in my study, why did Peter write about concerning the fiery trial? I wonder if he was thinking back to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know who they were? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of Daniel chapter 3? Maybe he was thinking about that account. Did they come through victorious? Oh, yes, they did. In fact, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon back then made a decree that everybody should not worship the image that he had set up, but worship the God of Abraham, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, amazing. Well, maybe that's what Peter was thinking about. Dear Christian, trials will come. Count it all joy when. And they will. And you can get through it with Christ, or you can fight it on your own. This word, 
The next one is, count it all joy when you fall. The word fall does not imply some foolish accident when you fall down. It, it means to encounter or come across, literally to be surrounded with. That's the word fall. In this world, we will encounter or be surrounded with things that try us, matters that test us. It's no accident. The devil wants it that way. We are surrounded by struggles and trials when we fall into divers. That's an old Elizabethan English word. We don't use it much in its proper sense. It is uh, the Greek word poikilos, and it means mottled or very colored. I know what that sounds odd. As I uh, thought about that, I purposely brought one of, uh, we only have one, Steve Craven painting with us. <laughs> By the way, Steve is becoming a famous artist over in Washington State. He grew up, I mean, we met them here in Montana. And years ago, I took a picture on the Cracker Lake Trail on the way into Cracker Lake, going past Lake Sherburn. This is Mount Wilbur, and Swift Current Lake is over there on the east side of Glacier National Park. At any rate, <clears throat> I asked Steve if he would paint this for us, and he did. He is a much better artist now. I hate to say this. Almost 40 years later, he's a much better artist than back then. But it's a treasure to Juanetta and me. Steve and Lori are dear friends. And he texted this morning. And every once in a while when he sells a painting, he'll contribute to our building fund here at Valley Baptist Church. Anyway, that's not the point of all of this. If I got up close and I looked at this painting, there is very little distinction. I see some really little orange stripes right there. And of course... Well, that must be Lake Sherburn, but it's like a long brush stroke. If you get up close, it looks like a bunch of dots of different colors, basically. That is the idea of the word divers. It is very colored. The idea, especially some of you have probably seen pictures of Monet's paintings. They're very much modeled or very colored. What do you see? We just When we're up close, we just see the little things that don't make sense. But we have to step back. To you, that looks more like a photo, doesn't it? Sure it does. There's a spotch here and a spotch there, and it does not make sense to an unlearned observer. observer. Let's not be unlearned observers. Life's trials will not all be alike. Bear with me. I'm going to take a moment and add a little bit of fun to this. You probably have not had a trial like this one, and that's good. But trials are not all the same. Sometimes they're pretty dramatic. Following is a bricklayer's accident report. It was printed in the Australian equivalent to the Workers' Compensation Board here in the U.S. Dear Sir, I am writing in response to your request for additional information in Block 3 of the accident report form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for a fuller explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. 
I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found that I had some bricks left over, which, when weighed later, were found to be slightly in excess of 500 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. You will note in block 11 of the accident report form that I weigh 175 pounds. <coughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. <laughs> Nevertheless, to say I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building in the vicinity of the third floor... I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explained the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in Section 3 of the accident report form. Slowly, only slightly, or slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep in the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of beginning to experience a great deal of pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building in the vicinity of the third floor. I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and several lacerations of my legs and lower body. Here, my my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. And I lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down onto me This explains the two broken legs. I hope this answers your inquiry. (laughs) Every once in a while, I have to read something like that just to smile. (laughs) Although, that fellow's trials, that was a true story, by the way. (laughs) That fellow's trial, I don't know if he counted it joy, but it's different. You'll probably never face one of those, and I'm glad. But you will face different or very colored or multi-colored, if you will, modeled trials in life. Let's not be observed, let's see, unlearned observers. Life's trials will not be all alike. Some will seem 
like a splotch here and a splotch there. But remember this, the artist is God himself. And he is in the process of creating a masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? Yes, trials will be diverse, but they are all to work perfectly into the master's plan for you, if, if you count it all joy. And seventh, when you fall into divers' temptations, this word temptations can mean being tempted to do evil, but it often, often means trials, adversity, or trouble. And in its context, that's certainly what is in view here as the believers, the brethren that were scattered abroad because of persecution faced. It was trials and adversity and trouble everywhere they went. Yes, they are modeled. They are varicolored. But they seem to be against us, don't they? But are they really against us? Are they to work out for our good? Only if we count it all joy. And then you can claim the promise from God that often is quoted, Romans 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. Yes, if you count it all joy. And that is a, a peaceful, a quiet trust in God. You can trust him for it. So when trials come, determine with a calm delight in the Lord. By the way, that is trusting him, confidence in the master artist to become, that I become better, not bitter. I, I can trust him for that. Don't pretend Dear Christian, it's not something to put on pretense. Don't use self-hypnosis or simply look at trials through the eyes of what, what I may be able to do, but through the eyes of faith in our master. A shipwrecked man managed to reach an uninhabited island This is written by Walter Meyer in Decision Magazine. There, to protect himself against the elements and to safeguard the few possessions he had salvaged, he painstakingly built a little hut from which he constantly and prayerfully scanned the horizon for the approach of a ship. Returning one evening after a search for food, he was terrified to find the hut completely enveloped in flames. Yet by divine mercy, this hard affliction was changed into a mighty advantage. Early the following morning, he awoke to find a ship anchored off the island. When the captain stepped ashore, he explained, we saw your smoke signal and came. Everything the maroon maroon man owned had to be destroyed before he could be rescued. God has a plan for you through and in the trials of life. He does. 
And our job as Christians is to count it all joy. There's a purpose in it. He wants to make us better, not bitter. I'm going to have you turn to Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43. In Isaiah chapter 43, this is what God led Isaiah to write to Israel back in that day. Verse 1. I'll read a couple verses here. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus saith the Lord, that created thee. We can take this personally. O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, Thou art mine. Dear friend, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are his. He has redeemed you. What's the result? When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. See that? And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. It may feel like we're being overwhelmed, but that's a feeling. What is the truth? We can trust God for it. He is with us. He wants the best for us, whatever that may mean. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt. This is figurative language. I hope you understand that. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. You can trust him. You can count it all joy. I challenge you to do so today. I'd like to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes for just a moment. Before I pray, I'd like to ask, first of all, if there's anyone here who needs to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Maybe you've not done that, or maybe you think you have and you're not sure, absolutely sure, With no one looking around, I'd like to ask you to raise your hand, and I will purposefully and privately pray for you. And if you want to talk further about that, I will. Please slip up your hand, and I will pray for you. Is there anyone that needs to make sure of that most important decision of all? Maybe there's a Christian here or more than one. Likely that's the case. It's facing trial in life right now, struggles, adversity, difficulties, and you're finding it hard to count it all joy. I would like to pray for you. I don't need to know the details. Please slip up your hand, and I promise I will pray for you, okay? Are there others? Okay. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this hour together. I do ask you that you would use your word in our lives, that you would be the one who gives us strength to find it all joy or count it all joy when we fall into divers' trials and temptations. Father God, I ask you too that you would make us stronger through it, more honoring and glorifying to you who deserves the honor and glory that you would give us the strength when we're weak. You'd give us the knowledge when we lack. 
and that you would be the one ultimately that is honored through the surrounding trials all all around us in the United States and in Montana and Father, really this whole world is set up that way right now and I ask you Father that we would trust you through that. I know that you may not remove everything from us but that you will carry us through and I trust you that each and every one here present today will trust you for that as well and count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations in Jesus precious name I pray Amen I'd like to ask everybody to uh, stand as we sing a little bit from Faith is the Victory 377 and remain standing after we sing the song and we will pray for the meal that follows. Everybody's invited to stay for our fellowship meal. Number 377, Faith is the Victory. Verses 1 and 3, please. And camped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise, and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against a foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is a victory we know that overcomes the world. Faith is a victory, faith is a victory, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. Verse 3, to him that overcomes the foe, white raiment shall be given, before the angels he shall know, his name confessed in heaven. Then onward from the hills of light Our hearts with love aflame Will vanquish all the hosts of night In Jesus' conquering name